The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We're going to talk about are the Bengals real or not. We'll get into the 3-1 Bengals as we get started with the Packer Bengal week as the Packers get ready to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. We will also discuss Jalen Smith and the potential for the Packers, why it is not a knee-jerk move, while also it's unlikely to happen. We'll go through that. We're going to then do a little Brewer talk at the end, uh, Burns and Woodruff to start October. We'll react to that, as well as the Red Sox win yesterday was a slap in the face to anyone who talks about momentum. So that's there. We're all there. Rate, review, subscribe. We would appreciate it. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on wherever you can get your podcasts. We're also on the social medias, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports, on TikTok and Instagram. Follow all of those. Follow one. Oh, yeah, Tapping the Keg Sports also on Facebook, too. Um, we're on all those. So give me give us a follow. We would appreciate it. We love it. love you for it. And let's get into today's show. The Cincinnati Bengals are facing off against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. The Packers have not been to Cincinnati in quite a while. I believe the last time they went to Cincinnati was a week three game. I forget the year. But the Packers did lose. They were one and two. Cincinnati was pretty good at the time. It might have started one of the famous Rodgers quotes, if I'm not mistaken. I think then they went to Houston and won. I'd have to look back. We're going to do some look back stuff with Cincinnati uh, later in this show. But yes, they went to Cincinnati years ago. Not later in the show, excuse me, later in the week. We're going to do a House of Horrors thing tomorrow. But yeah, Cincinnati has not been kind to Green Bay. So the Packers can definitely not sleepwalk in this game. And there's a very good shot that they could, right? They haven't played a noon game in a while, number one. Number two, Cincinnati's not a team that you would take too seriously. You had a division rival in Detroit. You had your overall rival in San Francisco. Pittsburgh's a game you get up for just because Pittsburgh's one of those teams that you just naturally get up for, even though there's no rivalry. It's just that's the team, right? You, you get up for it. So the Bengals are a step down from that in terms of getting up. So obviously the Packers need to avoid the sleepwalk. They need to avoid sleepwalking their way through this game against the Cincinnati Bengals, which I'm sure we'll talk about as the week goes on. And with the Bengals being three and one, there'll be a lot of people as the week goes on saying this is a measuring stick for Cincinnati. That if Cincinnati can win this game, all of a sudden Cincinnati becomes sort of this real team and says, well, maybe they can contend for the playoff. And maybe there's not just two teams in the AFC North, the Ravens and the Browns. Maybe it's a three-team race. And it puts even more pressure on the Steelers to win this weekend against Denver because the Steelers would then be three games back or actually four with the tiebreaker of the Bengals themselves should they win this game. Vegas is also kind of leaning towards the Bengals. They're trying to get people to take the Packers with the Packers at three and a half as the opening line. I expect that line to move up. I expect the Packers are a public team. I would be shocked if it stayed at three and a half. I would imagine it settles around five or five and a half. But they want that Cincinnati dog is going to be a sharp play. There are going to be sharps on Cincinnati, the dog of Cincinnati, which I get. 
I, I totally understand that. And to me, even starting it out at three and a half, Vegas is trying to tell you something. But here's the thing about Cincinnati. When we get down to it, when we get to the crux of it, they are an overrated team. They are three and one, but that three and one is more of a schedule thing than anything else. Cincinnati is not a good three and one. Um, they still have a lot of questions and not a ton has been answered yet from this Bengals team. I'm sorry to say that. I know there are probably people who are like, we're for real, we're for real. But when you peel back the onion, the onion is not tasty. I mean, our onions really tasty. I don't know. That's kind of one of those things. You peel back the onion. What do you get? I wouldn't say it's rotten, but it's not necessarily a good onion at this point. So the Bengals right now have the fifth best defense per DVOA. I use DVOA a lot in studying who, which teams are good, which teams are fifth best is like, wow, holy shit. They have a pretty good defense. That's going to be a challenge for the Packers. On contraire, that their schedule has been the second easiest in the league behind the Bills. Side note, I love the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. I will just tell you that right now. I absolutely love the Chiefs, and I'm probably going to pay for it, but I, I kind of think the Bills are a little overrated in their own right, and the Bills have played the easiest schedule. So if you look at what's the common denominator between those two teams, it's Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, you could also say, well, the Packers have also played the Steelers. But at the same time, the Steelers were missing a ton of guys for the Bengals, and the Bengals were able to take advantage. The Bengals got lucky against a Minnesota team that I don't know how good the Vikings are. They're 1-3 at the time right now, but they got, again, kind of lucky. They worked their way and figured it out. And then against Jacksonville, they came on strong late and won that game. There is a real scenario for Cincinnati. i they, the pits, and then they got their asses kicked by the Bears. But there's a real scenario that Cincinnati is a one and three team right now. Very, very easily that Cincinnati's one and three. And they pulled out wins kind of out of their ass, which is credit to probably a good quarterback. I don't think it's a good coach. I don't think Zach Taylor is a good coach. But Joe Burrow, he's a good quarterback. And Joe Burrow is just doing things that are second level, third level shit. That's going beyond his coach. I mean, there's been moments, I think, in that Vikings game and the Jaguars game where basically Joe Burrow says in the press conference, yeah, I freestyled. I did my own thing and made it happen, which is very Rodgers-esque, I think, of Burrow, where he's just sort of doing what is best for the team and seeing the field and seeing the opportunity. Joe Burrow's a good quarterback. And now he will make mistakes. I think the Packers should try to force turnovers similarly to what the Bears did, where the Bears frustrated him all day long. They had they were in his kitchen with a pass rush. They were, you know, aggressive to the football. At, without Jair Alexander, it's going to be a real issue that you will not have Jair Alexander in this game. So that is going to be a problem. We'll we'll see if T. Higgins plays or not for Cincinnati. He's been dealing with a shoulder injury, but they do have an arsenal of guys with Higgins, Boyd, and Jamar Chase, who's been very good this season, and CJ Uzuma, who's been a talent at tight end. But they don't have a great offensive line. That was a bugaboo for Cincinnati last year, and they really did not improve it. And we saw what the Green Bay Packer pass rush did against a bad offensive line last week. I think they can do it again versus Cincinnati, even though they do have a potent offense and a bunch of skill players that are worth noting. 
I didn't talk at all about Joe Mixon, and you know, years ago, I think we would, or last year even, we would worry about a tough run game and worry about Mixon tearing up the Packers. But the Packers might have a run defense. First time in, since 2017 in November, Packers have had back-to-back games with under 70 yards in, ru- in ru- opposing rushing. That's pretty damn good, man. And that, to me, says maybe Joe Barry has figured out this running attack or Devondre Campbell is a stud at middle linebacker and he is shutting down the run. So I'm feeling a little more confident about the Packers' run defense than I really have felt in years. I, I can't can't remember. Maybe since the days of Big Howard Green, do I feel this good? And I know we haven't really talked a lot about Cincinnati's defense going up against a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers and... This will be the best quarterback that they've faced so far. The Cincinnati Bengals have faced Kirk Cousins. Not bad. Not great either. But he's, Kurt's like a mediocre quarterback in my opinion. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say, yeah, that's a little too mean to Kurt. He is an average quarterback. He's in that 15 range, 13 to 15 range, give or take. Then you had Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton has pretty much lost his job. Then you had Ben Roethlisberger, who's a statue, who looks like one of the worst quarterbacks in football. Then you had Trevor Lawrence, who's a rookie, who in years future will fear Trevor Lawrence, but right now we do not. So they have not played anyone close to Aaron Rodgers' stratosphere. They This will be the first good quarterback they face. And you look at their secondary, and it's all guys who are just dudes. Like They don't have one premier standout corner. William Jackson used to be, and he went to the Washington football team. I don't know if he did it last year or the year prior, but that used to be kind of be their stud. They don't really have that right now. Cincinnati doesn't have much in the secondary to say, okay, wow, that guy's a problem, or keep the ball away from this guy. Because, like, it, I don't know, Trey Waynes, they've burned Trey Waynes in the past. I mean, Trey Waynes is toast when it comes to facing Devontae Adams. Now, Trey Waynes is a Kenosha native, so I feel bad. But seriously, like Trey Waynes has got absolutely roasted by Devontae Adams in the past. Uh, Chidoba Izue, again, I don't, he's not a notable name. Jesse Bates, not a notable name. Von Bell, former Saint, but strong safety. I don't know what, I don't really know necessarily what you're getting out of that. Azue was a second round pick out of Dallas. That's right. I knew the name kind of sounded familiar, but he's a second round pick out of Dallas. He's just signed with Cincinnati this year and he was injury prone last year and it looks like he's battling something right now as he's questionable. So if he's questionable, then they go to Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton, longtime corner, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But again, they just don't have necessarily the notable names in the secondary. Their front seven is pretty good. Uh, you know, Sam Hunter, Hunter, Sam Hubbard, Larry Ojubway, Trey Henderson, who they gave a bunch of money to, Logan Wilson seems like a star. They have dudes up front. So that is what Cincinnati, I guess, will be their calling card, is whether they can frustrate Aaron Rodgers, whether they can rush for and potentially, you know, make it difficult for Aaron Rodgers. That is the secret. But if the Packers can run the football, I think they're going to be really hard to beat. Matt LaFleur also was doing some crazy shit. He's running a lot of three tight end sets uh, to basically free up Devontae Adams. And that that's kind of something I think you're going to see more and more of to give Devontae more of an opportunity as teams key in on him. But I don't think anybody in that secondary should be able to stop Devontae Adams. So how where this leaves us with Cincinnati 
is they are an overrated 3-1. and one. I'm not saying that they can't beat the Packers because they can. Um, we've seen it happen before where Green Bay goes into a uh, Sunday game, a little sleepy, on the road, and they end up getting their asses kicked. That could happen. But I don't really see it right now with Cincinnati. They're going to be a decent team. They're going to be a frisky team. But they're certainly not a playoff team. I don't want to spend too much time on Jalen Smith because odds are Jalen Smith will go to waivers and odds are somebody's going to sign him. Whether it be a team like the Detroit Lions or even the New York Jets who are low on the waiver wire priority and see it as like, okay, we can just add a linebacker here who's established, give him a small deal, try to work with him this season and sort of grow and make him part of our culture as we continue to rebuild our roster. I could see that happening. I could see a team like the Buccaneers trying to go after him. I could see, because they go after everybody, right? Maybe the Rams, who knows, right? There's going to be people going after Jalen Smith. Now Jalen Smith gets released from the Dallas Cowboys and it's it's an immediate sort of flag up for the Packers because... One of the things the Packers have struggled with is linebacker depth. And it continue, depth continues to be the conversation throughout the week when we talk about the Packers. We talked about depth yesterday. We talked about it Monday. It is the word of the week. Shout out to the count. And so they definitely could use a guy like Jalen Smith to shore up the depth. He is talented enough to help the Packers at the linebacking position, especially if Chris Barnes is out for a while with a concussion. If Chris Barnes is out for for multiple weeks with a concussion, Smith could fill that role way better than Tyler Summers or Ty Summers, excuse me. And we know how I feel about Ty Summers. He's my least favorite Packer, and he is a really good special teams player. That's what I always say. I think people forget that. I'm not saying I catch a lot of heat for my Ty Summers slander, but I do always caveat that like he is a good special teams player. He's absolutely brutal when it comes to playing defense. He did not get exposed last week, and I pray to God he does not get exposed this week. But he is not a good player. But he's better than what, or Jalen Smith, excuse me, is better than Ty Summers any day of the fucking week. Even though Jalen Smith is off to a bad start this year, he is still better than Ty Summers. So I am willing to say, all right, yeah, that's worth the squeeze. That's The juice is worth the squeeze there with Jalen Smith. This would not be a bad move for Green Bay. They could bring in a guy like Jalen Smith and he could immediately help that linebacking crew and just rotate dudes in because right now they do not have a backup for Chris Barnes. And there was a report from, I I don't know who reported it, but after week one that Green Bay was looking for linebacker talent. So did they try to make a trade for Jalen Smith and did it not work out? Who knows? I don't know if Jalen Smith was that guy that they were trying to trade for. And this is extremely different than the Jamie Collins situation. I saw Andy Herman, who I like. I, I don't really know him. I'd have him on the podcast. I'd be I'd love to go on his. Like, I have no issue. So I'm not trying to start anything. But Andy was pretty aggressively like, why would you want why would you want this guy? This is the same thing as Jamie Collins. Like, he's not played well. He's really struggled. Then he found a clip where he's like, Yeah, this guy's terrible this year. So why would the Packers want him? Again, in respect to Andy, like I just think there's a different scenario. Like this is not necessarily a guy who's washed up. Like Jamie Collins is washed up. 
I know he signed with New England. Good on him. But, like, Jamie Collins has not been relevant for three or four years. Jalen Smith signed a five-year, $50 million deal only two years ago. I'm not saying Jalen Smith has completely lost it. And it's worth a gamble when the Packers don't have a ton at middle linebacker. This is not a scenario where I'm trying to think of a good example. So, like, of a wide receiver, even that's a bad example because Marcos Valenzuela's hurt, but he's only hurt for three games. So it works. If a notable wide receiver, veteran wide receiver, got released, I'm trying to think of a good example. I don't have one. Sorry. Apologize. Oh, let's let's do this, even though it wouldn't happen because they're a a four win they're four and oh and he's been playing well but since we're talking Bengals, let's say like aj green got released okay like aj green gets released and packer fans would probably go crazy be like we got to get aj green aj green has to be a packer they would pound the table forgetting that basically marquez valis scaling not as good but basically plays a same wide receiver kind of skill set as aj green and that is a scenario where it's like, yeah, you shouldn't obsess over that. There's no need. There would be no need. That would be an embarrassment of riches. Or, not that, again, not that he ever would, but I say like a Gronk came available. Again, tight end position is pretty solidified. Or or Mitchell Schwartz. Like I thought a little bit about Mitchell Schwartz, who is coming back from a back injury. He's not yet decided if he's retired. It seems like he is retired, but he's saying, I'm not retired. Like, I... I still think I can play, and whether he comes back to Kansas City or he's just a free agent, again, I don't think the Packers need Mitchell Schwartz. They're pretty good at the right tackle position. So where I'm getting at with this is Jalen Smith is kind of the exception because the Packers do need linebacker help. Just like if a veteran corner became available and he's decent, again, we would probably want him because of Jair Alexander's injury. So I understand what Andy's saying. And I do think sometimes we overdo it as Packer fans. I think everybody does it. I think it's just like, well, should we get this guy? I, we see this a little bit with the Brewers. We see this a lot with the Bucks too, right? Guy gets released, a guy gets bought out and it's immediately like the Bucks have to get this guy. And sometimes you just have to look at the fit. Jalen Smith makes sense. He could be a fit. A veteran wide receiver who gets released or a veteran tackle who comes back from an injury, that's not a fit. So it's not a one-size-fits-all take. You have to really kind of look at it in a vacuum. So Jalen Smith would make sense. I highly doubt he becomes a Packer, but it would be great if he did, and it would be a step forward for Green Bay. All right, wrapping up the show with the Milwaukee Brewers. So we have Corbin Burns. We have Brandon Woodruff starting out this weekend. Corbin Burns taking that number one spot away from Brandon Woodruff, as as he probably should have. He's been the best pitcher for the Brewers this season. He is a borderline Cy Young Award winner, if not the Cy Young Award winner. So it's not surprising that Corbin Burns is getting the ball to start the postseason. He will face the veteran right-hander, Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton's had a good season for the Braves. He's been very good down the stretch. Burns has an opportunity to kind of grow his, shall we say, brand of of player with with getting this first game opportunity. 
I think the national spotlight being on him and being able to dominate a very good Braves lineup. The Braves have sort of revived themselves with guys like Austin Riley. Ozzie Albies has been good. Adam Duvall always seems to kill the Brewers. This will definitely be a challenge for Corbin Burns. And we'll see weather-wise. We'll see if the roof is open. We'll see if the roof is closed. I haven't looked at the weather, but that could affect how the ball travels. Burns did face this lineup back in late July. It did not go well for him. He gave up five runs. Gave up a home run, walked two, struck out six uh, in only four innings. Now, this was at Atlanta. Uh, At Atlanta in late July is a hot, hot day. The Brewers did pick up Burns with with two four-run innings in the third and fourth inning. So he gave up four runs in that first inning with with a homer to Riley. It It was not great. It was not great at all. But... Burns did recover with three scoreless innings after that before getting pulled from the game. So it's important for Corbin Burns to just, you know, keep his composure, to not necessarily get too wound up. Now, he's been here before. He pitched in the 2018 playoffs in a bullpen role. He was really good in that. I think the crowd, the energy of of AmFam will be loud. It'll be a 3.30 Friday start. I think that is a perfect start for AmFam. They will be rocking and rolling. There will be tailgating. People will be boozed up. It'll be feeling good. I saw that Red Sox crowd yesterday. I think you're going to get a lot of home field advantage stuff with baseball this year. I think more so than we've seen in other capacity. Like, we didn't really get full playoff crowds for the NBA until the very end. And even those crowds, it was like, well, should you stand? Should you not? People were wearing masks. It was not necessarily the crowd, I think, that we saw in Boston yesterday. I think you're going to get that same crowd in Milwaukee. I think you're going to get that same crowd in Houston. Same with Chicago for the, the both sides of that. Boston will bring it again if they get any opportunity, if the, the Red Sox are able to pull it off against the Rays. I think the Giants crowds will be great. If the Dodgers advance, their crowds will be good. Same with the Cardinals. There are a lot of good baseball towns that are involved in this postseason. The only one that really doesn't have one is the Rays. But even them don't sleep on it, right? Like Tampa is trying to become this city of champions as they already have the the Lightning and the Buccaneers. They're trying to win their third title as a city. And some people push back and say the Rays actually do have a fan base. There's just stadiums in a terrible spot of town, which uh, I will concede that might be true. I have no problem with the pack, the Brewers, excuse me, going with Burns over Woodruff. Even though Woodruff has had some stellar postseasons, I think you have to ride the hot hand. You have to make a statement early on. If you're able to beat up the Braves first thing and you're able to get yourself going and get a one-game lead, then you have the advantage heading into Saturday afternoon. Because if Woodruff were to win game two, then all you need to do is win one Atlanta. You don't even need to win game three, and they don't know who game three's starter is yet. They haven't decided. There have been some that have said it's Eric Lauer and then Freddie Peralta for game four if you need to. I'm not sure what the Brewers will do. Definitely a topic for Mitch and I tomorrow when we do our baseball preview on Thursday, or or Friday, excuse me. So yeah, and I'll talk about that. We are having a little bit of a schedule shift with uh, tapping the keg this week. But we'll talk about that at, uh, to, at the end of the show. So Burns 
has a chance to really sort of make it make it known that the Brewers are here to stay. Now, Charlie Morton has been here before. He is a longtime postseason pitcher. He's pitched in the postseason. This will be his this will be his fifth straight postseason. All right, he was stellar uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays the last two years. He was three and one last year with a two seven ERA. The year prior, he was 2-0 with a 0.9 ERA. So just fantastic stuff. He did have a year in Houston in 2017 where he did get shellacked. Same with the one start he made in 2018. Actually, he only pitched one inning in 2018. So, Or was that one inning? No, two innings, excuse me. So he really did not have a good one in, in 2018. So Charlie, Charlie Morton has has the playoff experience, but it's a little bit uneven. And I think last year, it's tough to like say, oh, wow, he was great. Last year is, is a different animal because they didn't pitch at home. They played in these neutral parks that were weird. So I'm not like ready to be like, oh, yeah, Charlie Morton was this fantastic option for Tampa Bay when it's like he didn't really face that pressure of a home crowd. Like, if they get going, it's going to be loud. Like, Willie Adamas sends one deep to start this game. The, the roof's going to explode. If the roof's on, like, the roof is going to absolutely come off. And that will be different for Charlie Morton because Charlie Morton has not faced that in since 2019. So, at least, I didn't even look if he started home or away. It doesn't matter. It's just basically, like, it's a different atmosphere. Now, he's been very good down the stretch. As I mentioned, 2.6 ERA in his last month of starts. That could be beneficial of playing basically nobody, a lot of Marlins, probably some Pirates thrown in there. I don't know. I, we, we don't need to comb through the game logs. The Braves are a good team. I'm not discrediting the Braves. I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm overly confident in the Brewers. I do think the momentum stuff is overrated. I put this on Instagram yesterday that the last two teams that were 4-10 and 10 to finish off the year won the World Series, the 2006 St. Louis Cardinals and the 2000 Yankees. So those two teams both won the World Series after going 4-10 and 10 in September. Hopefully the Brewers can repeat that. And I think when you talk about momentum, sometimes it can just not be a thing. I think momentum inside a game can certainly be a thing. Like let's look at both sides of the momentum argument. Boston Red Sox kind of limped into the postseason, right? They needed to come back from the Washington Nationals. They were down 5-1 to one in the last game of the season. They kind of looked lost for Boston. And they came back with a fury and won that game. And they really did not play well, though, down the stretch. Like, the Yankees swept them in Fenway. It was a brutal series for Boston. Kind of looked like all hope was lost. That The Red Sox were like, okay, this is great. We overachieved. We're probably not going to make the playoffs. Or if we do, we're going to lose game one, and it'll be fine. We'll lose the one-game playoff. Boston was dominant last night. They set the tone early, and they never looked back. Now, that momentum is different. Because what Boston did is Bogarts hits a home run in the first inning, and the crowd is just in a frenzy. They're chanting. They're kind of chanting Garrett's name. It's Garrett. Garrett. Like, they're getting in his fucking head already. So that momentum is different. And I think similar to our conversation about, like, the free agent stuff with the Packers, momentum's not a one-size-fits-all conversation. 
Long-term momentum, I don't know how real that is. But momentum like this, where in a game, you can kind of feel the noise and feel the energy, that is fucking real, okay? That stuff is totally possible. I just look at what the Red Sox did, and it does give me a little more confidence in the Brewers. And I think if the Dodgers beat the Cardinals tonight, which I expect them to do, that will even give me more confidence because it'll say like, okay, even though the Cardinals were red hot, the Dodgers still beat them. And so at the end of the day, it didn't even matter. The Cardinals won 17 straight games or whatever the fuck they did. It doesn't matter. They lost the one game playoff to a superior Dodger team. Now, if they win, then okay, okay, there you go. Then the momentum people be like, see, I told you so. I told you so, the momentum. But we'll just have to wait and see with that one. So because there is a one-game playoff tonight, we will not have a tapping the keg with Mitch. He will be coming on for Friday's show. I will be doing Should I Bet My Team. We'll be doing betting previews. I do kind of want to do the House of Horror stuff with Cincinnati. So maybe we'll do that as a prelude to the betting preview and sort of bring it all into one. We'll talk about the Badgers and Illini as well. We'll also look at the Brewer line. So we have Brewer line for Friday. So we'll talk about that as well and talk about maybe some of the other baseball. So a loaded Thursday Daily Tap. Stay tuned for that. Sorry for the delay today. Your boy might have took a little snooze while I was prepping uh, last night. And so that's why we got a late show. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a lovely Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. All right. See you. Bye.